One of the things we always get every summer is blockbuster movies. And that usually includes movies about heroes and superheroes. So along those lines, Bishop Caggiano today will talk with us about two of the great heroes of the Old Testament. And he starts today with Moses and then with King David. That's ahead on today's Let Me Be Frank. So keep your radio right here at 1350 AM or on your phone with the Veritas Catholic Network app. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. You can hear live 24-hour broadcasts, and you can grab any of our podcasts right there on the app. Veritas Catholic Network is bringing the truth to Connecticut and New York. When you're tired of listening to noise, put on Veritas and be fed. All right, this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, my friends, it's great to be with you, and we have some interesting men to talk about today. This should be good, you know, because I was thinking, at the sum- in summer, every summer, it's like we get uh, big blockbuster movies that come out. Most uh-huh. of them often involve heroes and superheroes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So... Today, Uh we can talk about some of the great heroes that we should remember from the Old Testament. Exactly Exactly right. And then eventually, we can talk about um, heroes in general, right? That would be awesome. People from history, right? Yes. But we always start at the base, right? Which is of the people of faith. Yes. And and the two, when you sent the email saying, Bishop, you know, who would you pick? The two persons I picked who fascinate me on multiple levels are Moses yes. and David. Yes. And, David. and both are uh, flawed individuals, which is the first thing that's fascinating. See, there are many religious lessons to be learned um, for both men in the life of faith, even for, for a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And one of the, the, the lessons that unites both of them is that they rose to great importance, right? Moses as the, the one who received the Torah, the, the Ten Commandments, the giver of the law, um, the greatest of all prophets in rabbinical tradition in Judaism. And of course, David was the, the, the king who followed Saul, united the kingdoms, um, and it's out of the house of David that the Messiah comes. Right? The shepherd, the musician who leads Israel. And yet they're flawed individuals. Right? So we'll talk later after the break about David and Bathsheba. And, you know, David did some, some things that you would say, my goodness gracious, and, and you're supposed to be following the Lord. <laughs> right. And Moses, Moses, young man, right, encountered an Egyptian slapping a Hebrew slave, and Moses killed him. Yeah. And hit his body. And then he was discovered the next time there was an altercation. And he ran out of fear. So it it gives consolation insofar as it doesn't give excuse for our bad behavior. But what it does is God doesn't look to the perfect to do his will. God takes the raw material and sees what it is capable of and asks it to do his holy will. And that should give us consolation. It gives me consolation when I look at all my faults and failings, which could be an entire podcast if you want it to be. (laughs) But I mean, 
I say to myself, my gosh, yeah. Uh, so even I can do this. Right? Yeah. So that's the first piece of the puzzle. But, but going all the way back to the basic, you and I call the Old Testament old because there is a testament we consider, obviously, and believe to be new, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ that brings completion, the promises that Yahweh made to his chosen people and brings the offer of redemption and salvation to all creation. But just for our own sensibilities, for our Jewish sisters and brothers, when they hear the word Old Testament, okay, um, they don't hear it the same way we do. So you will notice in literature, it speaks of the Hebrew scriptures, which is, are essentially the Old Testament. Right? But I think there always has been a tendency in the church to see, if I may put it this way, like better and worse. Or, but I think that's the wrong way of seeing it. You know, one of the earliest heretics, Marcion, claimed that the Old Testament wasn't even inspired anymore, that it was useless. Right. And of course, the church rebelled against that, because it's certainly not. Why? Because when God makes a promise to his people, he never revokes that promise. And our Jewish brothers and sisters were chosen as the first recipients of the covenant. And that covenant remains. That is never abrogated, because God doesn't change his mind. Yeah. So the Old Testament for, for Christians, and Catholics in particular, should be used in our prayer, in our reflection, in our study, should be used vigorously and completely because God speaks to us through it. It is his inspired, revealed word. And I must tell you, when I read the Office of Readings, and I pray the Office, when Deuteronomy comes, and you hear the story of Moses, or the book of Kings come, and you hear the story of David, or you hear the story of Elijah and Elisha, it just, and, and again, perhaps this is me, but it just piques my religious imagination. And I find it such fruitful passages to pray over. Because both Moses and David, for example, are, are image symbolically what the Lord would be in reality. So St. Matthew, as we spoke about in previous shows, sees Jesus as the new Moses. He's the new lawgiver. He is the liberator in the Exodus experience. He is, in sense, the Passover through his death and resurrection. But all of that is prefigured in Moses. And of course, David, all right, is the king, and so Christ came as the bringer of a kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace in the house of David, in the lineage of David. So, so I, I think I'm, I'm encouraging everyone to open up the books of the Old Testament, pray over them, not simply only the New Testament, because God will surprise you with the grace that he will give you, the insights he will give you. Does that make sense? Makes total sense, yes. Yep. Yep. So, so Moses, tell me a story about Moses that fascinates you, Steve. Oh, gosh, what a life. I think my favorite story was uh, when he sent um, 
Joshua down to battle. And he was watching from above, and he had mm-hmm. to have his hands up. Uh, mm-hmm. And every time he put his hands up, the Israelites would win. And every time he put them down, they would start to lose. So they had to build pillars to hold his hands up. To hold them up. So what's, yeah. so what's, so what is, so what's the spiritual lesson? Let's, let's, let's de- dig into that. What's the spiritual lesson? Right? That discipleship is not a one-man show. Hmm. Right? And, and, the, and, and when the disciples are out, he never sends them out alone. He sends them out two by two. Moses could not complete his ministry in that moment with, right. without the help of two others. And that's a powerful lesson we need to think of because we're always tempted to think that we could do this alone. No, it's not alone. This is not just about you. In fact, it's not about you at all, right? Service. So again, something as simple as that has profound implications for Christian discipleship. Hmm. Hmm? Yeah. But, so the birth of Moses, okay? So Moses is born at a time when the Jewish people are oppressed, right? The Pharaoh that welcomed Joseph and Jacob, new Pharaoh, new rules, and they're oppressed. And Pharaoh was becoming very, as we know from scripture, concerned about how the Jews were multiplying. And therefore, he wanted to put a stop to that. And he basically ordered infanticide. Right? The slaughter of young boys among the Israelites, that the midwives were instructed to put them to death. Now, in a sense, does that not echo Herod in the time of the Lord Jesus, who did essentially the same thing, to wipe out the new Moses? Yes, yeah. <laughs> and neither succeeded. But for, the, for Moses, his mother put him in a basket and of course, there's lots of midrash in the Talmud, there's lots of stories surrounding this, but he basically was left there and found, right, by Pharaoh's daughter, who took him in and actually gave him back to his mother to be his quote-unquote midwife, to, 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 um, uh, nanny, I guess is the word, but I mean, in a sense, it was his mother. Right. But, but what's the image? Being pulled out of the water. There are ancient echoes of Jesus then going into the Jordan and coming out of the water at the beginning of his ministry when the new Moses reveals who he is. This is my beloved son in whom you I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And coming out of the water echoes baptism, which of course the Lord Jesus opens, right? for the exodus of God's people, for the forgiveness of their sins that would come through him, not through, right, the inheritance of a promised land. So just from the very beginning, the echoes are just, it, it's just astonishing to me. What's the most famous scene, right? So, at least in my mind. So Moses has, has grows up fairly privileged, he sees his fellow Israelites um, being mistreated. He does what I described before, puts uh, an Egyptian overlord, a, soul, um, a taskmaster to death, is discovered and runs for his life. And what happens when Moses goes into the desert? He encounters the angel 
And on Mount Horeb, he encounters the burning bush. Remind us what happened at the burning bush. Yeah, the, the bush was on fire, but it was not being consumed. Mm -hmm. And he took his sandals off. And, uh, and then God spoke to him. And told him, go told, free my people. Yes. And Moses said, you're joking. <laughs> <laughs> that was not recorded in scriptures, but you hear him say, you're joking. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just ran for my life and you want me to go back? <laughs> but, but in effect, now let's look at the image. Okay. Uh, this is kind of like allegorical exegesis, right? A fire that burns but does not consume. All right. The Holy Spirit, a fire that does not consume, but radiates his presence. So when I think of the burning bush, I think of the soul of every Christian, every believer, everyone who's willing to allow the fire of God into his or her life. That is why it becomes holy ground because we allow God's presence to come. And of course the angel in the time of Moses was the, um, was the surrogate, if I could put it that way, for God's presence. Because of course, Orthodox Jews would never speak about God directly, could not address God, and the scriptures always hold, held, anyone who saw the face of God would die except Moses. Moses glimpsed God and lived. And so in the end, in my mind, the burning bush is the commissioning of Moses to go into the Exodus. We who already have received the Holy Spirit, we are being commissioned. We're receiving the fire that dwells within us all the time to do what? To accept the Exodus experience Christ gives to us and then invite others to the same. Yeah. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells him, let my people go. And Pharaoh quotes by saying, you got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of that in the Old Testament. I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. There's never quite made it into the book. But you're joking, right? Right. Like, why, why are you even in front of me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so his obstinacy required that better yet, invited the demonstration of the power of God over human desire to guide the events of life and history. But it's God who's in charge of those to the salvation of his people. And so through Moses, there were 10 plagues until he finally relented, right? So here's a good special credit question. Steve, you're on. Oh, 10 boy. plagues. How many can you name? <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, the Nile turned to blood. Yep. Um, there were uh, uh, infestation of frogs, mm -hmm. um, hail. Mm -hmm. the, uh, I th 
did all the livestock die? Yeah, they got infected. Okay, that was one. Um, locusts. Uh-huh. And then the... Boils? Okay, boils. storm of hail and fire, mm-hmm. right? And of course, the last one was? Uh, the, uh, all the, the firstborn sons were, right. were all killed. And preceded immediately by darkness. Oh, right. Okay. Darkness. So, you, so there's a progression, isn't there? If you, if you look at the plagues, again, there's a spiritual lesson here. Because they go from, perhaps I would say, the least destructive to the most destructive. So then animals are afflicted. Plants are afflicted. Then there is the warning of darkness because the taking of life is when you plunge into the deepest part of the darkness. And then it's the sacrifice of the firstborn. And then Pharaoh's own firstborn yes. dies. And then he says, leave, get out, go. But it's an, exi- an example of a person who is reacting for his own benefit, right? But he's not really converted because then he changes his mind soon right. after they leave. Yes. Right? And the Egyptians gave him gold and silver and bronze and all the rest because they would be glad to get rid of them. Just go, go, <laughs> go. Right? And he said, I made a terrible mistake. And he goes after them. And then the famous scene that is at the heart, right, of the, of the Easter Vigil readings, where horse and chariot he hurled into the sea. Yes. Where Moses, right, crosses the Red Sea. And they follow in pursuit, and in their arrogance they are lost, mm-hmm. the Egyptians. And Moses begins the journey, right, towards the Promised Land. And I wonder to myself, right, how many times do, are you and I like Pharaoh, where God gives us a clear message of how we ought to change our lives, how we ought to repent. And sometimes circumstances just do not allow us to set it aside anymore. We have to respond. And we respond, but we don't respond with full heart and mind. And soon after, we kind of slip back yeah. into the same old, same old stuff that we were doing. And that and leads to our destruction. Of, amen. Right. And for us, it is our spiritual, right? Spiritually, we continue to devolve, right, and destroy. But that image of the exodus is if those who, who are faithful are set free. And Jesus, the new Moses, sets us free. Mm-hmm. And then Moses is invited. Of course, the beautiful thing about Moses is that even though he's a flawed character in so much as you know, he committed murder and he doubted God, right, at the rock, mm-hmm. right, where God asked him to strike the rock, he struck it twice, not yes. once, for the water, and that was understood in some circles as a doubt of God's, of God trusting in God. But nonetheless, he conversed with God so much so that his face would glow, that he had to cover his face. That's so deeply intimate in his friendship with God, Moses was, which is amazing if you think of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
And then we wind up in Mount Sinai. And what happens in Sinai? Steve? He gets the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And comes he down and the- sees his people worshiping the golden calf. Uh, so how is that different from, uh, from Pharaoh? How is that different from Pharaoh? He was there 40 days and 40 nights, not 40 years. Hmm. 40 days. And even Aaron, right? Yeah. Succumbs to their request and makes a golden calf, which, yeah. I mean, of all the symbols in the Old Testament, a golden calf is the symbol of the 21st century. Hmm. The golden calf. What glitters, what's gold, what's entertaining, what's wealthy, what's, you know, power, privilege, and status. It's, it, it, you could see all of that, all right, kind of reflected in this golden calf. And he comes down with the law of God, and this is what he sees. And you remember the Ten Commandments, the movie? Charlton Heston takes them and just throws them, and they kind of explode. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> um, but I, 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 as a little kid, I remember his face. You know, and it's still, it's a classic. It's, it was like almost twisted. Yeah. It, it was a mixture of disgust and, and, and disbelief that this could happen. Yes. Right? And he takes the golden calf, he grounds it down, right? And he feeds it to the idolaters because God's people had to be purified. Right. And then uh, tradition holds that he wrote them again, right? The first set was written in God's hand and then Moses wrote them, right? For the sake of, of the people of Israel. So then, through Moses comes the law. Also comes the priesthood, right? Through the sons of his brother Aaron. And he also then spends in the battles that will occur to to purify God's people, to be able to enter into the promised land. But you mentioned the spies. Moses sent spies out into the land. Yes, right. right? Mm -hmm. And they came back. And they, they brought signs of the land and how bountiful and all the food. And the people, and, but they said the inhabitants were giants and they're going to destroy us. And, and what is the people's reaction? People's reaction is, we're afraid. We don't want to go. So that is the principal reason they were stuck in the desert for 40 years. Because the generation that did not trust could not enter the promised land to a new generation arose. And God in his mercy gave them manna and quail and water to survive the desert. Yeah. Because by their own efforts, they would not have survived the desert. So even in their lack of trust, God still comes to the rescue, right? And cares for them. Yes. But we talk about the Ten Commandments. All right. So next quiz. Ten Commandments. I can do better on this one. Remember. Good. Yes. The first one I know very well. Uh, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. Um, Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Um, Mm -hmm. Keep holy the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. Honor your father and mother. Mm -hmm. Don't kill. Don't Mm -hmm. commit adultery. Don't Mm -hmm. steal. Mm -hmm. Don't bear false witness. Mm -hmm. Don't covet your neighbor's wife and don't covet your neighbor's goods. All right. Yay! A plus. Somewhere my catechism teacher is smiling. (laughs) A plus. 
And of course, there's different ways to organize the Ten Commandments, because you also have, you shall have no gods before you shall make no create, uh, images of me and all the rest, right? But basically, what you hit the nail on the head. But let's go a little deeper. How many of the commandments deal directly with what we owe God? And how many of the commandments are what we owe our neighbor? Yeah, it's three verse seven. Right, right, Excellency? Yeah. Well, if Sabbath is, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's three. So what does that say? If this is the revealed law of God, what does that say? You would, would you gather any lesson? Why are there not nine for God and one for neighbor? Or, yeah. or at least 50-50? Why is it only three for God and seven for neighbor? Because if, if, uh, if you don't love your brother who you can see, then how oh. can you say you love your God who you can't see? Do you see the echo? <laughs> the foreshadowing. It's the foreshadowing, right? It's the fulfillment, right? It's bringing them to the obvious conclusion what the Lord, who is the new Moses, who will give the new law. And what is the new law? Right? Taking the Ten Commandments and summarizing them into one law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Period. So Jesus doesn't abrogate the Ten Commandments at all. Not at all. But he summarizes them in a succinct way and brings them to, 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 to completion in him. But even among the Jewish people, their, their obligation to God, and of course we live by the Ten Commandments as well, our obligation to God, there are certain things we owe to God, but we also owe to one another all that you described, because that is also how we honor God, who is the maker of us all, in whose image and likeness we all share, and whose community we all form. Yeah. Yeah. So... so Yes, so tell me. No, go ahead, Excellency. Uh, we'll put a bow on this segment and then go to break. Okay. All right, so now I've, I've told the story before about Joshua. Joshua going into the promised land, but Moses not. There's an echo in David. Solomon, his son, builds the temple. David does not. Right. But both men, but particularly Moses, was at peace for he knew he had done what was required of him, even if he had not done it always perfectly. And he lived to 120 years old. Imagine. So, so uh, of all of the figures in the Old Testament, Moses so deeply resonates in my heart because I, as, a, as a priest and bishop, um, to be able to model my life on the new Moses, the Lord Jesus, is the foundation of who I'm supposed to be. But to have an appreciation of the first Moses and his frailty, and yet God calling him and empowering him, gives me great consolation. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Okay, so this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, we'll be right back um, after this break. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, 
the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Okay, welcome back everybody to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. We just finished talking about Moses, and now, Excellency, we're going to turn our attention to another great Old Testament hero, King David. Absolutely. Now, when you ask the average person, who is David, what, is, what do they think of? Michelangelo's statue. Oh, yeah. Right? Right. That's David. Well, yeah, it is David, but that's not really... <laughs> I mean, it's lovely, but that's not the point. <laughs> right. Right? Um, David, again, somewhat of a flawed figure... But, um, again, in the religious imagination, he is the prototype of the king. He is the first of the great kings. He is the one that brings unity and peace eventually to Israel after defeating all his enemies. And he rises from poverty as, a, as the youngest son of Jesse, a, 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 an insignificant young man who scripture says is ruddy in complexion and appearance and you know so the sort of kid you would say yeah it's a nice kid but it's a kid <laughs> right what, what could you possibly do well i'm gonna lead israel are you kidding <laughs> right in the background and it's the image of the messiah king because jesus is a descendant of the house of david but his kingdom, even David could not have imagined. So, the first king is Saul. Saul, who has a son, Jonathan, among other children, who ruled Israel. Saul had his own faults. One of them was jealousy that would play a large role in his attempt to kill David even after David proved himself to be a valiant warrior and a trusted aid. Right? Another lesson for us to reflect on. And the truth be told, within our own communities of faith, in our parishes, in our school communities, in our circle of friends, how often has jealousy creeped up into our hearts that has caused tremendous harm and destruction? Rivalry and bitterness right, that we need to root out. In this case, right, Saul, in one of his campaigns, did not follow what God had asked of him. You know, in those days there was called the ban, and the ban was that you would put to death everyone in a certain area who was guilty of idolatry or guilty of a divine offense. And Saul did not do that the way he was commanded. And so therefore God chose to replace him as the king of Israel. And therefore the prophet Samuel was sent by God to anoint the new king who would take his place. And if you remember the story in the Old Testament, where he went to Jesse and he said, I'm coming. And of course, everybody was afraid of Saul. It's like when the bishop comes, everybody like runs away. He says, what is he coming for? <laughs> so, so I sympathize before Samuel. He arrives and like say, oh my gosh, what do you want? 
I want to come eat with you. I want to celebrate with your family. Gather everybody together. And he looks at all the sons. No, 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 no. (laughs) Right. Is there anybody left? Yeah, of course there is. It's the, the youngest one, you know. You almost give this impression that he's like the, the one everybody considers to be, you know, the lightweight. And yeah, the, the mascot. The mascot. And he comes, and Samuel says, this is the one. David had musical abilities. David was a shepherd. In his musical abilities... That was very important for Saul. Because when David came forward and volunteered to fight Goliath, you remember that story? Yes. Tell us the story. Oh, everybody knows that story, right? Yeah. Yeah, everybody yeah, everybody knows the giant Philistine and nobody wanted to fight him. It would be It'd be one-on-one to determine which army wins, right? Right, right. And, and you have this image of this gigantic, you know, in modern terms, like a guy who's lifted weights forever, <laughs> steroids, God knows how much. I mean, like a mountain with eyes, right? right? Basically, Goliath coming out on the battlefield. And then you see this, like, young kid coming out. You know? <laughs> no armor, no sword, nothing. But what does he take with him? Steve? His sling and, uh, and stones. Five mm-hmm. stones. Right. And again, what undid Goliath? His own arrogance and pride. Because he went, he said, this, he has nothing here. He can't hurt me. And as he lunged forward, he set himself up for the stone to lodge in the temple of his head and literally instantly kill him. Mm-hmm. If he had walked away, he would have been alive. If he had taken a more defensive posture, he would have lived. But because in his arrogance he was offensive, right, David was able to slay him. Another spiritual lesson, right? And so David, then of course David uses uh, Goliath's own sword to cut his head off, presents it, and he comes into the household of Saul. And because... Saul had, and I, I forget the exact wording in the scriptures, but I'm going to say a melancholic spirit, right? It was David's singing that would soothe him and calm him. And David, tradition holds, is the author of the Psalms. Right. And the Psalms are songs. So you could imagine, for example... In a court, a royal court, the king, you know, this is the image, for example, in The Lord of the Rings, when um, Gandalf goes to see the steward of the White City, if you remember that image, and he's there eating, and then the one hobbit is left behind because he swears allegiance to him and is singing to him as he eats. But that's exactly what David would have done. And he, gra- and he gains trust of Saul, and Saul puts him in charge of all his armies. Only to have his jealousy get the best of him. And, he, and as people greeted King Saul and David behind in the retinue with Jonathan and all the rest, 
they would sing, Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands. Right, yeah. And that's when the spirit of jealousy comes in. And then he seeks to kill David. Hmm? Um, and then there's Jonathan. Jonathan was his son, Saul's son, who struck up a deep and abiding friendship with David that in certain circles is twisted and misunderstood for something that it was not. But in effect, another spiritual lesson for discipleship, and that is, Jonathan was a true friend of David, heartfelt love for him, would protect him and guide him, as he did with his father, um, would lay down his life for him, which is no different than if I may put it, the new David, the Lord saying, there's no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. We've talked about this many times. You see it here. And people insinuate that there was something else going on, which there was not at all, except true friendship, which is essential in the life of all believers. So there's a very famous scene to show the extraordinariness of David. David and his men were in a cave and Saul happened to come into the cave. Do you recall the story? Yes, he was using the bathroom. Basically, <laughs> which was the only bathroom they had. <laughs> right. Right, and um, David had every opportunity to just kill him. Yeah. And he would have been acclaimed king, obviously, because the soldiers were all faithful right, to David, loyal to David. Yes. It's almost like the movie, The Gladiator. Remember yes. when he comes back with the loyalty? to Exactly. But he chose not to. And there's two versions of the story. One, he cuts a bit of the cloak off. And then when Saul leaves, cries out to him to say, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because I still owe my loyalty to you. Mm -hmm. And I wish you no harm. Right? And the other is, I think he took his spear and his jug in another version, but it's, it's basically the same story. Yes. And that's when Saul says, I've wronged you, and withdraws any desire to kill David. Until Saul himself dies. Right? And then David first is anointed king of Judah, and then about six years later is anointed the king of Israel because, if I remember correctly, Saul's son claimed the kingship. And so there was a battle between them. Yes, right? not Jonathan, another son. Another son. Right. right. Yep. And then he's, right. Okay. So that was this long path for him to bring the kingdoms together and to become the one king, the warrior king, musician, and still shepherd of his people. And then what happens? The frailty comes in. Do you remember the story of Bathsheba? Yes, of course. Yep. Tell us what the story is. Well, it was the, it was the season when kings go to war. Mm -hmm. And David uh, had shirked his responsibility to, to lead his uh, troops into war. And so he was at his palace woke up for a nap and comes out on the roof and sees Bathsheba bathing. Mm -hmm. And so he desires her and he takes her. And when she becomes pregnant, then he sends for Uriah, 
-hmm. and tries to set that up. But Uriah is faithful to, or at least loyal to the uh, idea of his troops fighting. And so sleeps at the gate. And so then David has Uriah sent to the front and killed. Right. So let's, let's take that story and let's peel it away a bit. So David asks Bathsheba to come. It is unclear whether or not Bathsheba had relations with David against her will. This, it's not quite clear if it is or is not. This was a time, right, of concubinage, where men would have had, could have had more than one wife. David had many. Right. Which for us is strange. Mm-hmm. Right. So David having this relationship um, in and of itself, by our eyes, is, is immoral because you're violating the marital covenant that she has with Uriah the Hittite. But then he adds to that sin with the deception for Uriah the Hittite because his first intent was have him go sleep with his wife and he will think it's his child. Mm-hmm. So he first violates the marital covenant between Uriah and Bathsheba, first layer of sin. Then he tries to use deception, and mm-hmm. that doesn't work, second layer of sin. Then he contrives literally to have him killed. So in effect, you have intent, motive, and circumstance. It's murder. It's really what it is. Third level. And who discovers it? The prophet confronts him. Do you remember with Nathan? the dream? Yeah, Nathan, yes. the dream. Yes. And he comes and he tells him the, the king and this poor man only had the little, the little lamb and the, 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 the man in authority took the lamb and slaughtered him. And David said, off with his head, this he should be punished. And Nathan said, you are the man. <laughs> right. You are the man. Now, where did you hear you are the man in scripture? Um, I can't remember. The Lord. When he scourged, Pilate. Oh, Behold the man. yes, yes. Right? But you see the difference. It's the mirror opposite. Yeah. Because David, in his sinfulness... God uses it, right? He uses the broken vessel for his glory. But the new David is the pure lamb. He is the innocent gift. He is the true man. This is the man. It's a powerful parallel when you consider it. Yeah. Okay? And we wind up on the David side, (laughs) being invited to imitate the Lord, right? The, the, The new, again, in my terminology, the new David. Yes. And so the son that was born of Bathsheba dies. Right? Because that was the, the punishment extracted. Yes. And it was only after um, they had relations, of course Uriah was dead, afterwards that Solomon was born. Right. Right? Who literally means the bringer of peace. Because what was the punishment? for David for this, not only that the child would die, but that David would know no peace in his reign. And he didn't. 
and he fought war after war after war after war. Okay, he would have no peace. Why? Because those who offend against God cannot know peace until there is true reconciliation because God is peace. So he fought all those battles. Then he had another issue too that comes later. Again, born out of all of the twisting that sin can create, and that is Absalom. Oh, yeah. Do you his remember son. that? His son. His son. So do, do you remember, what did, what did Absalom do? Uh, Absalom uh, worked, I forget how long it was, but for a long time and in several different instances to try and uh, take the kingship from his own father, David. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, before that, oh, he, he forcefully had relations with his half-sister. Uh, no, not no, Absalom. Is not him? Is that not no, him? No, 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 oh, okay. no. What happened was he takes vengeance. Oh, because it was right? his sister. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. He takes, right. So in the end, and that's where the division occurs, See, Absalom, when he rebels against David, rebels in part because he believed he would have been the rightful heir, and he was not chosen to be the rightful heir. And David loved Absalom and did not want him killed. He wanted to try to rehabilitate him. And of course, he was put to death. And, and what happens? Do you remember? David is crying, and all of the soldiers who have this victory come back as if they were shamed. Right, yep. Because, right. So, in many ways, so there was no peace on the borders. There was no peace within his own family. That, I think, is the takeaway with the Absalom story. But Solomon did have it, right? He was the one who was the wisest of all men who ever lived. Do you remember the story of, in, in Solomon's reign when they, uh, the two women came? Yes. Both claiming? Tell us yes. the story. There were, there were two women. Each of them had a newborn baby. They found themselves alone uh, sleeping one night in the same house and no one else was there. One of them rolled on top of her baby and accidentally killed the baby and switched so that she took the alive one and gave the dead one to the other woman. They came into Solomon and they each said, this is my baby. No, this is my baby. And Solomon in his wisdom and genius said, all right, you know what? Uh, So we'll just cut the baby in half and each of you can take half home. And one woman said, sounds great. And the other woman said, no, no, no. Give the baby to her. And Solomon said, "Ah, now I know that's your baby. Right. So David had, was inspired, right, to choose the one who would bring peace, the one who would build the temple because David was denied the opportunity to build the temple. The Ark of the Covenant was still in a tent because of all the blood that he had shed. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, his peace never came fully in his life. But Solomon himself became arrogant with the Queen of Sheba and all the rest. And, and so it, it starts this long line of turmoil and betrayal and all through the kings. And 
infidelities all throughout here and there, and not, until the line finds its rebirth in Jesus. the new David. Yes. In the new David. You know, you had mentioned about the Absalom. Um, one of his daughters, right, of, of uh, King David, Tamar, was raped by her half-brother, Amnon. And David did not punish Amnon for whatever reason. So Absalom murders him right, to revenge his sister. And that's when he goes into exile and that starts the rebellion, right? Against David. Yes. It's fascinating. It's just, fa- I find this to be just fascinating, the spiritual lessons. Um, and there's so much humanity here for, 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 to, to view. It's, it's everything we struggle, everything we have, you know, in our own families, in our own modern society, every sin, every kind. It's just an amazing salvation. And God, through it all, moves his chosen people forward. And, of course, ultimately fulfills it in the Lord Jesus. And so what I'm hearing from you, Excellency, with Moses and with David and with Solomon is that if we apply it to ourselves, you know, we've, we, we're given gifts, we're, we're all called to do things for the Lord, and we follow, but we're flawed, and so we're going to fail in many ways, and in, in the case of these three men, in very huge ways, but they continued to try to follow. They kept, every time they would get up in the morning, they'd say, I'm going to try and follow the Lord today, and... Is, is that what I'm getting as the, the biggest takeaway for us? Yeah, I, I, I would say, I would put it a little bit differently. God sees the potential of greatness that we do not often see in ourselves. He saw it in Moses, he saw it in David. And to their credit, and why they are towering religious figures, is that they did not cave into the complacency and mediocrity say, yeah, I did sin, I did do that, and therefore I'm going to wallow in it. Right. So, in the end, the consolation I gain from this is they, te- they, did, they became remarkable vehicles of God's grace in the world, even though they themselves eventually understood they were as, as much in need of that grace as they would have been the dispensers of it. And if you talk about religious leadership, pride and arrogance are deadly sins that neither David nor Moses had in the end. Mm. Nor did the apostles. Right. So the question is, do we? Yeah. Okay, so with that thought, let's um, let's take one more break, Excellency. Uh, this is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we will be right back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith, and Catholic radio helps supply good material whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, here's a question that came in uh, from one of our listeners. 
What is the one thing you wish Catholic families would do more of? Okay, so I'm going to answer the question by cheating. Okay, because to get to my answer, they have to do two other things. So it's really three things. Okay. Okay. I want every Catholic family to eat together more so that they can pray together more so that they can come to Sunday Mass more. Because when you eat together, then you put all of your dynamics, all that's going on on the table, at the table, you grow in your natural love. When you pray together, you take that natural love and infuse it with divine grace so that you grow in the divine. And when you come to Sunday Mass, you have both. Awesome. That's what I want. Awesome. So it's a little cheating, but... It is, it's my show anyway, what the heck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Who's going to tell you? <laughs> but All that's right. what I'm hoping. That's what I would ask for. No, that's fantastic. And it's step-by-step step and it's simple. I mean, it might not be simple to execute all the time because of schedules, but to aim for it, awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're listening and you have a bishop, uh, if you have a bishop, <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, Send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. You can find Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Veritas Catholic Network is there, too. And before we go, Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. May the Lord bless you and keep you, shine his face upon you, be merciful to you. May the Lord grant you the gift of his peace. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thanks Excellency. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. Okay. All the best. <laughs>